the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Spacious skies for amber ways of gray, for purple mountains, majesty above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee.
Welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, uh, paying a little tribute to Veterans Day uh, off and on, certainly uh, last hour with that conversation with Judith Pearson about the uh, uh, her book, um, True Story uh, from World War II, um, called Belly of the Beast. We go a little bit further back in history, uh, coming up in just uh, a minute or so, with um, the author of uh, a new book from National Geographic called The Good Kings, Absolute Power in Ancient Egypt and the Modern World by Kara Cooney. And she joins me by phone in, well, just about a half a minute or so. Um, and then uh, before we end the show today, we'll have a little bit more uh, a little bit more tribute to, to Veterans Day. And uh, hope you're having a great day. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is Professor of Egyptian Art and Architecture at UCLA and uh, a prolific writer with a new book called The Good Kings, Absolute Power in Ancient Egypt and the Modern World. Her name is Kara uh, Cooney, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Kara. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I should say welcome back, because I think... And, and I was looking at the titles of your previous books, and I, I knew we talked about women ruling Egypt, and I can't remember if it was when Rim, women ruled the world or your other book, the woman who would be king. But I know you've been on the show before, and and we talked about that. But this time, you're looking at not women. Yeah, I, I'm looking at not women, but I am looking at women because I'm looking at patriarchal systems in ancient Egypt and in our world today, and I'm asking what they do, how they work, how old they are, how they cloak themselves and make themselves seem so good, and what the future path for for humanity might be. You know, for the last 20 years or so, I've heard people talking about women in traditionally men's jobs. Mm Mm-hmm. Now that's that's changing, you know, in the last few years. But when you have researched these leaders and and pharaohs and kings and so on from ancient Egypt and and so on, does it tell us anything about how women 
have risen to power in the past. And, and I was thinking about women like Margaret Thatcher and Indira Gandhi um, that are certainly more contemporary, but thought of as uh, being in charge at a time when typically men held those positions. Yeah, and I think Indira Gandhi and Margaret Thatcher are great comparisons to the female kings of Egypt, women like Hatshepsut or Nefru Sobek or Tawasret, because each of these women is ruling within a patriarchal system and holding the regime together very much on behalf of a male-dominated system. And Indira Gandhi and Margaret Thatcher in particular, they're both voted in by a parliament. It's not a direct election. And they're there as the, the one woman in a man's game, but they're very much propping up the old system very conservatively. And I would argue that the women in the Egyptian story do the same. And after getting through that book, When Women Ruled the World, by the end, I'm like, well, this is a tragedy. It's not female rule that changes a system in any real way. The women don't mold the system to themselves. They have to mold the, they, they have to become what the system needs. And the, it's, one, it's a way of linking one authoritarian to another. And so many of these women, we can't pronounce their names, particularly women like Hatshepsut, because their histories are erased after their utility is gone. So um, it's, it's an interesting thing that we don't really divinize these women. We we demonize them, and uh, and yet they're useful in the moment. So, I I don't think that going forward, voting a woman into office, if that's your perspective, I don't think it necessarily changes anything. I think it depends on the perspective and and ruling style of of the person. What about the rule? Um under these women when they served in these various capacities, did things run differently or did they just become sort of placeholders for the next man to hold the job? It depends on the woman. And women are generally not allowed into office unless there's a crisis of some kind. There's no man available. And if there's no man available, something's gone wrong. <laughs> and that means that the woman has to rule in a different way. So, for example, like Hatshepsut, she's in the 18th dynasty and ruling on behalf of her nephew who is too young to rule on his own. Um, who may have even have taken the throne at the age of three or two, very, very young. Does she rule differently? She has to because of that. She's ruling alongside a male entity who will become older and more powerful as the years go on. So she's always going to be ruling very traditionally, very defensively. Then there's somebody else like Cleopatra, who's a Macedonian Greek, to be sure, but is ruling within an Egyptian system. And she's ruling in a very different Egypt, an Egypt perched on the edge of the Mediterranean. And her rule is more bold and more aggressive. And she's playing that man's game. She's engaging in battles. She's engaging in all kinds of dynastic competition. And the cool thing about, Hatshepsut, uh, sorry, about Cleopatra is how much of a man's game she actually plays. She even uses two Roman warlords almost as sperm donors because she doesn't marry either of them and sets up the children she has with those two men. Those would be Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. You don't even need me to tell you the story is so well known. She sets those children up as recipients of her 
dynastic glory. Uh, and um, if it weren't for that, that battle of Actium, we might talk about Cleopatra a little bit differently. Of course, if she'd been a success, maybe we would have had to forget about her. The only reason we remember her is because she's a failure. She's good to keep in our cultural memory for that reason. That's that's interesting because normally, I mean, common sense would say we remember the good kings, mm-hmm. and and not the ones who failed or did poorly. I suppose Napoleon is an exception to that. But there are um, tons of exceptions. Like think of Hitler, right? Well, of course. <laughs> and no one does. Everyone knows who Hitler is. A, a fantastic, punctuated equilibrium moment of a grasp of power and a fire that burned so hot it burned itself out. There are many rulers like that, and yet when it's a man, we treat it we treat them differently than if it's a woman. But but in the latest book that I just wrote, the the Good Kings, you know that title is a sly title. It's really hitting upon how the ancient Egyptians packaged authoritarian power arguably better than anyone else on the planet at any other time, making it seem not only necessary, but moral and good. These were, these were the good fathers doing what we needed. And they, that, this advertising campaign of pyramids and coffins and temples was so successful, it lasted for over 3,000 years. It is amazing, and I wonder about that title. I was going to ask you about the title, The Good Kings, because, um, you know, the the American experience is we don't like kings. Yeah, <laughs> and the Egyptian experience is they do like kings if if they're good. The American experience is very Roman. We say we don't have kings, and yet we do. The Romans said they didn't have kings either, and yet they did. They just called them Caesar or Augustus. We don't have kings. We just call him a billionaire worth three hundred billion, like Jeff Bezos. You know, we, <laughs> what's what's your king? Um, I give a talk on on this book, and I have a slide that says, "So you think you don't have a king? Um, so you think you live in a republic or in a democracy?" And I would say that 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 ideology of the democracy, that's our ideology, so that we can't even see the regime that we live under a minority rule in which the corporations write the laws and the lobbyists run the show and the money, it's a pay-for-play oligarchic scheme. It's, it's much more that than it is a representative democracy or a republic. And that's, that's where, what I'm getting at with this book. I'm using Egypt to shock. Because it's so separate and different to our eyes, we can see it more clearly. And when we look at ourselves... We're all swimming in that water. We can't see the ideology where it stops and starts. So I'm using Egypt because the crooks and flails and the crowns and the things seem so different to get you to see what a suit and tie might, might communicate, what, what it means when you, when you hug a flag, <laughs> the American flag, what a jet flyover means. And I'm trying to get that ideology to be more visible to our eye and less part of our everyday living fabric. Red tie, blue tie. Yeah. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. More with author Kara Cooney from UCLA about the good kings. Straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Kara Cooney from UCLA about the good kings straight ahead. In researching this book, how did you decide who you wanted to identify as examples of absolute power in ancient Egypt? That was pretty easy because I chose those kings that were at the top of their game, the most centralized, the building the most stuff. And it's when the wave is at the top that it crests. So, and it's also at the top of the game when you think it'll go on forever. I'm sure everyone living in 1980s America under Reagan thought, well, this is awesome. It'll just go on forever. And it's at that time when the seeds of its future destruction are being sown. You don't see it. You don't know it. But the repercussions are there. And going through each of these kings, Khufu, Samwaster III, Akhenaten, Ramses II, and Taharqa, each of them is at the top of their game. And each of them, right after their reign, sometimes even during their reign, that wave will crest. And, and all of the, the things that were hoarded, the, the digging too deep, the taking too much, the pushing too far, all of those things will have a repayment demanded. And there will be a, a collapse after in, in each case. So I, I just picked those guys at the top of the, the bell curve, if you like. How, how were kings... Um how did they ascend to power? We don't know. And isn't that the coolest thing ever? <laughs> it depends on the time periods. But the Egyptians cloaked that very strategically and cleverly. It is not clear if a king was picked because he was the oldest of the sons. Or maybe he was picked because he was the best warrior of the sons. Or he was of the right mother, because every king had more than one wife, and some kings had hundreds of wives, so maybe it was the right family. The, the dynamics and the, the strategies for how a king was chosen and what the mechanisms were, they're very complicated. And to get around that, the Egyptians just say, well, this is the king the gods chose. And at some periods of time, particularly in the 18th dynasty, when Akhenaten was ruling, they say that the oracle of the god chose the king, that they would bring a statue of the god held aloft in the priest's arms into a temple where there was a choice to be made amongst princes, and that the god chose which one. I'm sure they had an agreement which one it was he was meant to be choosing in advance, but it, they, they give it to, it's like kind of like, I, and I use this phrase, a let Jesus take the wheel sort of moment, in which it's useful for people to say, I didn't do it. Did you make the decision? I didn't make the decision. They're like, God made the decision. Because that's, that's an easier way of saying it's not my responsibility, and yet having it the way that the people in, in power want it to be. It's like the line in the, uh, in the Monty Python uh, Holy Grail movie when <laughs> the, the peasant says to King Arthur, well, how'd you get to be king? I didn't vote for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And as we as we live in an end stage democracy, arguably, you know, as we try to limit votes, and voting does matter, obviously. Otherwise, they wouldn't limit it in certain states. It's it's an interesting time to see how. Um, how do we live in a democracy or not? Are we majority ruled or not? Um, how different are we from? 
this this elite-driven authoritarianism of ancient Egypt. I'm arguing we're not that different, and I'm arguing that we we will have a fall too. And I'm arguing that 250 years is nothing. You know, that's why I'm taking this big swath of time. That's the gift of ancient Egypt. Gives us this 3,000 years of ups and downs and ups and downs. And we're trying to prognosticate where we will go. And I think everyone agrees, right and left agrees, that we are walking into a fire. And we don't know what that means, but we feel the change coming. And half of us are saying we need to go back. We need to make America great again. We need to go back to what we had. We need a new normal. The other people are saying, no, we have to make something different. What? We don't know. And, and there is great disagreement in, in this country. And that's where we're different from Egypt this time. Egypt remade itself again and again into the same. Rinse and repeat, bigger each time, more complicated each time, with a bigger collapse and a bigger reconstitution of power. What we're going through is different because the patriarchy has gotten us this far, um, 10,000 years at most in California where I live, 300 years, you know, of, of patriarchal systems. And it's caused great damage to the earth in the short time of, of patriarchy working for humans. And I think its, it's end stages are with us. And we're all deciding how we get to post-patriarchy and what does that mean and who gets to rule and how does it work. And I'm not surprised that authoritarianism is rising all around the globe at exactly this time because it's right before the armistice is signed that all the bombs are falling the most, right? So it's right before there's a shift that those in power are going to try to use every last trick in the book that they've got to hold on to power. And, and these are the things we're seeing in this country, in Europe, in Asia, in Africa, everywhere, everywhere. In the, in the West, we judge all fiefdoms by the British monarchy. And we understand a little bit about how the selection is made within a family. And, and even a little bit about how when there's no heir to pass on, how it shifts from one house to another house and begins a new, uh, uh, I don't even know, reign, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. with... Mm-hmm. with um, a, a different family, but then goes back to the same sort of thing. It's it's amazing to me that we don't know very much about how these kings were selected and on on what authority they based their power. It's exactly as the kings want it to be. It's the same as you and I not knowing how the Great Pyramid was built. That's exactly how the Egyptians want it to be. These are state secrets. This ideology is Egypt's hydrogen bomb, if you like. We don't give out our recipe for the hydrogen bomb. We don't let that blueprint go out. Well, the ancient Egyptians didn't let the blueprint for the Great Pyramid go out any more than they let you see the realpolitik behind the scenes. Everything needs to be encrusted in a perfected, God-given ideology. And so they're telling you that these things just happened miraculously. There was no, there's no humans behind the building of the Great Pyramid. There's no, there's no machinations behind the choice of the king, that God chose him. That's the fiction that 
the Egyptians have presented so well. And I think this book, The Good Kings, is one of the first popular criticisms of that Egyptological positivism. That we're always looking, we Egyptologists are like, look at this beautiful thing, look at this shiny thing, look at how powerful they were. And we're never asking, but where did it come from? How did they get it? How do they maintain it? And that's what I'm trying to get at in this book. What makes you ask the questions, Kara, when you learn time and time again that there are no answers? <laughs> um, sometimes I think there are answers because what I'm, if I've got a bunch of authoritarians who are giving me their alternative facts, which is what is happening, right? If I know that that's what they're doing, and finally I'm like, I'm not taking them at their word, this is what Ramses II says happened at the Battle of Kadesh, I'm not asking what actually happened at the Battle of Kadesh, because without a time machine, I will never know. But so are there ways to, to weigh and balance different accounts of the same events to... We've tried that. You can try it. You can take the Hittite version. You can take the Egyptian version. Both of them are playing the same game. Both of them are saying, I won. So, so <laughs> for me, and this is what I teach my grad students at UCLA, you, can ask, you can't ask whatever research questions you want. And you can waste a lot of time trying to figure out what actually happened in history when really it doesn't really matter. It's a bunch of strong men using their power to, to claim that they have more power than they do, um, to, per, to write a perfected story, and to keep grabbing more power until there's a collapse, and then it happens again. It's, it's all the same story. So what I would rather know is, and the more interesting question for me that I'm asking in this, is if that's the case, how do we let it go on and on? How do we let it happen repeatedly so that we're the ones exploited and we're the ones that don't have any choice or power or wealth or riches and 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 we have this extraordinary social inequality how is this terrible to us how do they pull the wool over our eyes again and again that's where where i need and want to go because authoritarianism is on the rise even though we're talking about labor issues and social inequality and racism and all of these issues that are endemic to our own society there seems a great fear and an interest in going back and to go back and keep minority rule or blatantly to keep white power in the United States. There seems to be a very great interest in arming up, getting your AR-15 and getting your authoritarian of choice, rewriting the laws, creating some gerrymandered realities and continuing uh, the system as it works for you. That will work short-term. It is working short-term for strong men in power in the United States um, and strong women. And yet it's, it's got some unintended consequences that are already making themselves felt. And that's the fire that we find ourselves in in the United uh, States today. Are you, are you concluding, Kira, that um, this is sort of the... Um, global historical version of we've always done it that way? Yes, it is. And we're the same as the Egyptians. It's, this is my attempt of taking some modern exceptionalism away. 
if the pandemic hasn't already done that for you, to try to shake everyone up and say, we are just like these Egyptians. We are doing the same thing that they did, and we're trying to rebuild it bigger again. The difference this time is that our earth is not going to let this. It's not going to happen with wildfires and flooding and heat. Um, there, there are only so many times that, that the amount of damage that this system of rinse and repeat collapse, build big, collapse, and then rebuild bigger, um, there's only so much damage that this earth and our people who live upon it and need it can take. And so that's the conversation that, that many of us are having now. How can a forest only be a value when it's cut down and made into lumber? But that's the economic reality that we live in, an economic reality that's based on growth, that only can survive on growth. Um, what, what else can we, what can we build that will help us to not destroy this planet and to create some, some you know, more than two or three generations um, for humanity out of it? This is where humans don't like to change. They really don't. And for the last 10,000 years, we have very much done the same thing and rebuilt it bigger each time, thinking that we are the stewards and the leaders of this planet. And we're now reaching an end capacity of running out of resources and space. And it's, now it's going to be a tension between that old way that we, that we know so well and that we just want to go back to <laughs> and what could potentially come out of it, um, something new that, that is a post-patriarchal reality that needs to be built. And there aren't examples offered in Egyptian history where... Um, where there was a collapse, a fall of an empire, and something better took it pl its place? Or did people just say, okay, we got a new guy, but we want the old way? Each time there is a collapse, and there are collapses, and there are new and, and innovative ways of humans creating new social systems after that collapse but they're always temporary. They always got steamrolled by the next strong man to grab all the resources and, and pull it all to himself. And everyone's like, okay, I guess we're back in this now. And that strong man would build beautiful things and temples and colossal statues. And people would be like, okay, he is our God. You know, it's God-given, and there it is. It, it, this, this is, I have a saying in the book that we need to forget what we think we know and remember what we have forgotten. And what I mean by that is history is very long, and it's even longer than the Egyptian civilization of 5,000 years ago. It's, it's a, a human history that goes back 200,000 years. Patriarchy is new. It's, it's something that has not characterized the human species. There was another way of living before, and I feel that we're on the cusp of a new revolution, if we've been through the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, the sexual revolution, now is a, a time to create a post-patriarchal revolution and live maybe more like hunter-gatherers who lived in, in uh, cooperation with the earth in a sustainable way. I'm not trying to mythologize or glorify hunter-gatherer peoples, and I'm not saying we can go back 
But there is a way with all of our technology and our new ways of living to create something that has never been created before. You know, when, when human beings were there as hunter-gatherers and the agricultural revolution came along, it was also a time of great stress and messiness and complications as humanity moved from one way of living to another. And they didn't do it en masse. They did it all different times and all different ways around the world. Well, it seems this time in a globalized earth that we're more united than we've ever been. And it seems like we're all in trouble at the same time <laughs> because the earth is the carrying capacity that it is. And, and now we're all looking at each other from Brazil to the United States to Canada to the Middle East to, to China going, what do we do? What do we do? Um, and there are many different answers or there are two different answers. And the one answer is go back, go back. We need to, we need to make it great again. The other answer is we need to go forward. And everyone's like, but to what? To what? And we don't know yet. And that's where the last chapter of my book tries to engage in some prognostication of what we could make if we don't destroy the planet first. Is it just that we don't value um, human ingenuity enough and... and just in mass, humans in general look for a strong leader to just deal with all that stuff so I can hunt and gather. I think that we are fear-based and short-term thinkers as humans. And I think that as such, it's hard for us to create ingenuity at this point in our system that we have now, we are, we are part of our system. We are cogs in that wheel. It is hard for us to create ingenuity that serves the whole. So when an amazing satellite is created, right, or some new technology is created, it is in service to and built with capital by a state or a corporation of some kind. Thus that power, that technological power is monopolized by that group. And people who want a part of it have to pay or have to give something up. They have to sacrifice something. That is in service to the larger power, that innovation. Now, there are all kinds of tiny innovations happening all over the planet where people are deciding to opt out of patriarchal systems. They're bartering with one another. I'll cook you dinner if you take my kid to school. I'm going to have a vegetable garden in my backyard so that I don't have to go through the the factory farming. I'm going to not get married because I don't want to be trapped in this kind of a cycle. I'm going to decide that I'm not going to follow the binary sexuality because I don't identify with that. And society is now allowing people to make those choices in a way that they never could before. When I was growing up in the 70s, coming out as gay or shacking up with your boyfriend, I mean, these were things that in my Roman Catholic upbringing were untenable. And now they're normal. Very quickly, they become very normal. And that's destabilizing for those people who are running this social show. And it's, yet it's those choices, and there are choices being made, where people are valuing ingenuity that's not high-stakes technology, but little, little hacks here and there that are changing the fabric of our society from the bottom up. And that's where I'm looking in today's society. Those are the things that happened in ancient Egypt.
during the in-between times. That's when you, you saw people engaging in a different way of, of distributing power, but then they would, they would go away. Um, they would quickly be wrapped up when the next strongman came along and things centralized again. I think that this time it's going to be hard for a re-centralization. And you can see the United States has never been more divided. And you could argue that we really do run things decentralized state by state almost. My California existence is very different from somebody's Alabama existence. And that reality will go forward more and more as we decide in a, in a more local way how to move forward with the reality we want. Um, it's, it's a very interesting time to be alive. It's like we're going through an Egyptian intermediate period, what a, what a historian would call an intermediate period between um, time periods of, of great centralization, between my good kings. My guest is uh, author Kara Cooney, professor of Egyptian art and architecture at UCLA and the author of The Good Kings, Absolute Power in Ancient Egypt and the Modern World. Uh, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner programs. <laughs> comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better. <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today, we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus, well, then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey! 
This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The brightest moment in any serviceman's day is mail call. That is, it's bright if there's mail. Let's go out to the company area for mail call. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Settle down. Mail call. Settle down. Chet. Yo. Godlewski. Yo. Droz. Yo. Duncan. Yo, yo. <laughs> McDiamond. Yo. Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> Occupant. I don't know, it's a bar of soap. It says occupant on it. <laughs> Terran. Yeah. Gesundheit. Yeah. Castellano. Yeah. Jimenez. The man is here. <laughs> oh, couple. Envelope, please. Now settle down, Jose. Just take this mailbag back to the mailroom. Take the mailbag? Back to the mailroom? I mean, there's, there's nothing for me? The only thing left is this bar of soap for occupants. You can have that. I'll take that. <laughs> Listen, uh, Corporal, could I ask you a favor? Sure. The next mail call, could you just call off my name anyway? Well, what do you mean, Jose? Well, see, every time I come out here the mail call and everybody else gets letters and there's never anything for me and it's very embarrassing. Well, why do you come out for mail call? Why don't you just stay in the barracks? I'd rather be embarrassed and lonely. <laughs> well, look, uh, how can I call out your name if you don't have a letter? Oh, I got a letter. I thought of that. Just hand me this one. This is the last one I got six months ago. Haven't, haven't had a letter since then. Well, who's the letter from? My devoted girlfriend. <laughs> Your devoted girlfriend? Yeah, she doesn't devote very good. Anyway, I'll tell you something. In this letter, I, 
kind of get the feeling maybe she's not so crazy about me anymore. You know, if you, if you kind of read between the lines, you could tell. If you read between the lines, well, what does she say? Well, I'll read it to you. Dear sir, <laughs> my husband and I were wondering. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. can't depend on anything the leaders that we follow they can't even write their name but here we are in america ain't it just a shame how it goes on and on our children going hungry teens are turning to crime and politicians know it's true but they ain't got no time down in America, nothing seems to change, it just goes on and on and on. But there may be people who truly do care, they may be mighty, but still they lack the key. I pray that someday these people will finally declare, not even heroes can do it all.
it up for today's Veterans Day edition of the Tom Sumner program. We had some tributes along the way to veterans and I want to start the thank yous uh, as we wrap up the show to all the people who have served in the various branches of the military. Regardless of your politics and uh, people know we do a lot of discussion about politics and represent various sides of different issues and debates but wherever you are on the political spectrum you have to tip your hat to the people that are willing to serve so we can continue to have those differences. And so I thank everyone who is serving or has served in the U.S. military. I also want to thank the guests on today's show, Kara Cooney, professor of Egyptian art and architecture at UCLA, talking about her book, The Good Kings, Absolute Power in Ancient Egypt and the Modern World. And then uh, before that, Judy Pearson, Uh, Judith Pearson is the author of Belly of the Beast, a POW's true story of faith, courage, and survival aboard a World War II hell ship. And we started the show out today with uh, a uh, former CIA analyst, Bill Rapp, who uh, has a series of mystery thrillers following the exploits of uh, CIA operative uh, Carl Bayer. And uh, Bill Rapp was uh, kicked off the show this morning. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to talk about climate change. We're going to kick it off with a conversation with climate policy insider James Harmon. And then Lisa Ramsden from uh, Greenpeace will join us. And uh, we'll wrap it up tomorrow with uh, National Geographic um, ocean photographer Thomas Pishak whose uh, work is, uh, has been cataloged and featured in a, a new book from National Geographic called Wild Seas. So thank you all for tuning in today, and uh, hope you will uh, repeat tomorrow. Join us uh, for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. So with that, I'll just say see you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.